and welcome back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is Theros Beyond Death Spoiler Week. We have the whole set out now. We we are doing the second half of our set review today, and I'm here with the, the wonderfully talented Michael Grothy. Michael, how you doing? Good. Awesome. Good answer. <laughs> did you get to play? Did you get to play in a pre-release over the weekend? I did, yeah. I played uh I played in a pre-release. Alex and I played in the finals of the pre-release. He beat me with a card that I told him not to put in his deck. We like built our decks next to each other. We were like, oh, do you think I should play this? Help me cut some cards. And there was a card in his deck, and I was like, don't play that. That card sucks. And then he put it in his deck, and then he beat me with it. I was jealous. I didn't get to watch you guys, uh, or I didn't get to play with you guys. I, I missed the pre-release, unfortunately, this weekend. There was a bunch of things happening. I was, unfortunately, unable to do it. So um, I haven't actually gotten to play with Theros Beyond Death cards yet. I had all I have all kinds of questions, just just like generally about how the things are actually working in real practice that I want to ask you. But uh, if you guys are tuning in for the first time or watching for the first time here on YouTube, this is the Masters of Modern Podcast. The channel is the MM Cast. We talk about magic here, specifically the modern format, other eternal formats like Pioneer, and we just kind of have fun and, and, and brew and come up with fun silly ideas we've been doing the show for a long time my name is ben bateman that's michael grothy and if you guys want to follow along with anything that we are doing on the show be sure to follow along on twitter we have one for the show called the mm cast you can follow me at ben bateman media what's your twitter again dudard d-u-d-a-r-d-d we we are going to be talking about the the second half of our theros beyond death set review we actually did the first half about two weeks ago uh when they had revealed about half the set so we got to talk about a lot of the like most fun cards then but we are going to be covering the rest of them now uh and uh i think without further ado i just kind of want to get into the cards you know we'll do some more shout outs kind of later in the show Sure. We are going to start with Ephemia the Cacophony. This is a black 1-2-1 legendary enchantment creature, Harpy, flying. The beginning of your end step, you may exile an enchantment card from your graveyard. If you do, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Uh, what do you think about this card, Michael? Well, it does a lot for only two mana. Um, exile an enchantment from your graveyard is a little tricky because enchantments typically do not go to your graveyard. They typically sit on the battlefield and they're hard to get rid of, and that's often why you're playing them. But I think with enchantment creatures... It like it becomes a little bit easier to get or yeah, it becomes a little bit easier to get critical massive enchantments that you can like actually make this into a thing. So I foresee playing this with like Stitcher Supplier and maybe Binding of the Titans, which is a saga from this set because sagas also put themselves in your graveyard. Right, right, right. Like just some ways to get some stuff in the graveyard. But then this for only two mana, you just get a, a free two two, um, you know, for every enchantment you can exile. But like the ceiling on this card's very high and the floor is like a two one flying for two, which like is not the worst. Uh, so I think maybe it's a little clunky for modern unless we get some good ways to like stock the graveyard with enchantments, like enchantments to stock the graveyard. But I think like in pioneer, maybe it has a little bit more potential where things are a little bit slower. It's maybe easier to like get this online. Yeah, it's interesting to think, like, uh, how many ways in Modern specifically exist where on turn one, you can just play an enchantment, get some kind of reasonable value to put it in your graveyard so that when you cast this on turn two, you automatically get a creature. Seal of Fire comes to mind as like a yeah. in a, like a black red sort of aggressive shell. Uh, I don't mind the idea of playing like a shock on turn one and then on turn two getting four power for two mana. It's like yeah, not the can, worst. You can also do um, there's a. Uh... It's a card from Aether Revolt. I think it's called Unbridled Growth. Okay, it's like yeah. a one green land enchantment that uh, gives the land the ability to tap for one mana of any color. But you can sacrifice it to draw a card. So ah. you can just like, it's a little one mana cantrip, get an enchantment in the graveyard. But yeah, I feel like with this card, you really don't want to spend all your time just like doing cute enchantment sacrifice stuff to like stock your graveyard. I feel like you want to be playing Citrus Supplier or Grizzly Salvage or... Right. Merfolk Secret Keeper, something to like stock your graveyard. 
a lot of those cards are not enchantments. So the more of those you have, the more you're kind of yeah. pressing against like exactly. critical massive enchantments to actually make this function. Crewfix's Insight is another card that like I could see playing with this. It's a uh, look at the top six, put up to two enchantments into your hand, the rest in your graveyard because it stocks your graveyard and it finds enchantments. Yeah, but it does not cost one. Cost three. So so you would play this on turn two, and then on turn three, you'd cast that, and you'd get another two to it. Right, so yeah, if yeah. you've already played your Seal of Fire or your Stitcher Supplier, you've fueled this on turn two, and you're looking for more fuel on turn three, you can play uh, Crewfix's Insight. Or Commune with the Gods is a similar thing, where it's look at the top five, grab an enchantment or a creature, and yeah. put the rest in the graveyard. This is a card I like a lot. I, I definitely am excited about it. The fact that it's legendary is interesting, and, and definitely, you know, obviously... If you're thinking about being aggressive and you put four of these in your deck, we've seen people obviously play Thor- four Thalia and humans before. It's not like it's an impossible thing to do, but I don't know that I want to necessarily double down on having four of these in my deck. I don't love the idea of two of these in my opening hand. If they just don't kill it, I'm just sitting there with a dead card. I guess one dies to the other and creates a two, two, which is fine, but yeah, I mean that, yeah, you can always just play it as a grizzly bear, right? Cause it, you play it, it dies immediately and then you exile it to the one you already have out. Yeah, or if fine. you have, if you're playing this with like a cathartic reunion as a way to stock your graveyard. Yeah. You can get a little action. Yeah. Yeah. The next card we're going to talk about is Chainweb Arachnir. It's one green for a one, two reach spider. When Chainweb Arachnir enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to your equal to its power to target creature with flying and opponent controls. And it has escape uh, green, green three, Uh, Exile four cards to put it into play, and when it escapes, it comes in with three counters on it. So if you escape this for five, exiling four cards, it becomes a four-five reach spider. But on its own, it's a one-two reach for one that deals one damage to a creature that an opponent controls. Um, With flying. Creature with flying. Yeah, so the only reason this is on here, I highly doubt this sees any play in modern, but that card, Crawl Harpooner, is that what it's called? It's from, I think it's currently legal and standard, or it was. Yeah, it is. It's from Ravnica. Um, it's seen a lot of play in Pioneer. People play it a lot in the green decks. Um, and it's a good enough card. It's got a good rate. This costs one. It's a good rate to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, the main difference is Harpooner costs more and it dies uh, because it has to fight the flying creature. This deals damage directly equal to its power. So it stays on the battlefield after it kills something. The difference with Harpooner is it gets big. So you can take out like a Niv-Mizzet uh the one from Ravnica, whose name I'm blanking on, but the six mana sure, Niv-Mizzet. Sure. Perrin. Um, huh? Niv-Mizzet Perrin? Oh, Let's yes, go. that's right. Niv-Mizzet yeah. Perrin. So you can like take out a Niv-Mizzet Perrin with it, because if it gets up to five power with the um, undergrowth ability, right. then you can take out a Niv-Mizzet. This is never going to do that, because it's a one, two. Even on the escape, it's going to be a four, five. So Crawl Harpooner takes out bigger stuff, but it always dies. And it also costs two mana. So I, I can foresee like a metagame where there's X1 flyer deck dominating, like a fairies deck. You can yeah. like take out a, a Scion of Una with this, or you can take out a Brazen Borrower. You can take out a Spell Stutter Sprite, and it sticks around to then block something else. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's notable that you say, I mean, Vendillion Click is a classically powerful one, you know, toughness creature in modern. I think, obviously, Birds of Paradise in modern over the years, depending on what deck is popular, has seen play. And then finally, you, you just mentioned it, but I do think Borrower is a card we're going to see more and more of in modern. I think that card's really, really good. I played a lot of it this year. I really enjoy it. I think it's very powerful. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But I don't think this is a main deck card. I think this some deck is going to play this in the sideboard. I do think that putting in a 4-5 body later in the game is powerful. I think it it's also, good. I mean, this can also slot into like Ranger Captain of Eos packages because it only costs one mana. Or it can be in like your Court of Calling deck as like something you can just grab for one mana to like take out opposing flyers. Like, you know, it also does kill like Ink Moth Nexus or Blink Moth Nexus. Like, it, 
vault scourge. Like, I guess it's if reasonable against Infinity. If you're Court of Calling, you mean? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's what I mean. If you can get it into the play at instant speed off of like a Court of Calling or a collected company or something. Next up on the list is going to be a Cling, cling to Dust. This is a pure Alex Kessler special. The only this reason. This is the card that Alex beat me with uh, at the pre release. <laughs> yeah, so it's that's why he wanted to talk about it purely. I think so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he just wanted to. He wanted a reason to gloat. Yeah, so that doesn't sound like Alex at all. One black instant. Exile target card from graveyard. If it was a creature card, you gain three life. Otherwise, you draw a card. It has escape for black three. Exile five other cards from your graveyard. So I tend to like cards like this. I'm a, I'm a okay. fan of cards like this usually because it is one mana instant and it says cantrip on it. Um, one mana draw card is never awful. You but, can just get your own fetch land or something to get a one mana draw card. But then you're talking yourself into things because cremate exists and that card's not very good. No. One black exile target card from a graveyard draw card. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, not sold on it. Yeah, but pretty Alex will be on the cast <laughs> talking about it at some point, I'm sure. So. Next up, we have Daxos, Blessed by the Sun, white, white, two star for the power of our legendary enchantment creature, Demigod. Daxos' toughness is equal to devotion to white. Um, each one white in the man yeah that's a devotion you guys know what that does whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies you gain one life this is super loose the only reason it's here is it's like a soul sisters card um yeah so it's a soul sister for pioneer in particular where soul warden and souls attendant are both not legal you also don't have ariok champion so any of the any of the soul sisters that get played in the modern soul sisters deck are not legal in pioneer so, so in pioneer if you want to be using heliod and a johnny's pride mate and you know the four mana johnny from m20 that makes pride mate tokens and there's like reasons to want those like incidental life gain triggers this this guy does the job he also costs white white for your nykthos or your heliod devotion or whatever so um i I mean i think he's like a role player if there is a deck if there's like a heliod deck that wants to you know be a little bit more soul sistersy and mid-rangey with the ballista combo in pioneer i think daxos is the way to go yeah it's fine uh next up we have a card that is making waves in standard right now and it's just a card that i tend to like the design on so i want to talk about it briefly it's dream trawler you guys have probably heard mm-hmm. about it if you follow magic i know chapin loves this card uh blue blue white white two creature sphinx it's a three five flying life blink whenever you draw a card dream trawler gets plus one plus oh until end of turn whenever dream trawler attacks draw a card discard a card dream trawler gains hexproof until end of turn tap it um so the interesting thing about this card it, it pl- it's kind of similar to like <coughs> There's like a couple cards that I can think of, right? So it's it's got similarities to Dragonlord Ojitai. It's got similarities to what's that Sphinx that you can discard? Prognostic Sphinx. That's the one. And then I th- think there's one. I think other it's one. more of a direct reference to Prognostic Sphinx because that was an original Theros card. Yeah. A- and like those are good. I mean, being able to discard a card to give it hexproof and a turn is a really good ability. Like that's a strong ability for a control deck, especially if it's like in a control deck that's going to draw a lot of cards. The thing is, if we're talking about modern. This is not going to slot into a blue-white control deck as the winning card. Like, it's just not going to. It's too expensive. If we're talking about Pioneer, maybe, maybe. I could see a blue-white control deck that's playing, like, you know, Teferis and all kinds of good things. Maybe playing one of these, and this is the win condition. Yeah, I mean, it does a little bit of, like, a Teferi impression. It draws a card every turn. It's, like, pretty hard to deal with because of the hexproof. The difference is that it, like, can kill them, and it can gain you life. The downside is that, like, it's a creature, so it dies to all your Wraths. you know which most blue white decks are playing it also dies to like edicts if your opponent has like liliana the veil or something i mean i guess in pioneer 
can't think of a playable edict in Pioneer, but <laughs> uh, well, there's the one. I mean, the the Liliana's. Yes, people. I people have to be playing that though. That's the, wasn't that our spoiler card? No, we got the white one. We got Gideon's Triumph. <laughs> yeah. Also, kind of an edict. You can get Dream Trawler with with Gideon's Triumph yeah. in you know any format where it's legal. So here's my question to you, and and we we played this game sometimes, guys, on the show because I'm always sort of fascinated by the concept of design and, and what a mana cost actually does to a card. But let's pretend this card costs one less colorless. It's one colorless, blue, blue, white, white. Costs five. It's, to me, exactly the same. It's just a little more powerful. It's, like, still probably not good enough for Modern. Probably still just on the edge of powerful enough for Pioneer. What do you think? It'd be miserable in Standard. I mean, this card's already tearing up Standard as, like, the control win con. And the fact that it gains life makes it, like, pretty hard to play against. So now, if they had made this cost just blue, blue, white, white, and it only costs four. But I'm not saying for Standard, because they wouldn't have printed that in Standard. But if this cost blue, blue, white, white, and it was in Modern Horizons, would you have bought it? as real or it's still too good i don't know that's pretty messed up a four four it's basically a four five flyer for four that well when it attacks you draw another card so it yeah it typically attacks for five (laughs) so it feels so it feels like probably what this actually is is it it would have been pushed at five and unfair at four but six makes it a standard card correct yeah yeah that's fair i like this card i like this card i don't think it's gonna see any modern play but and it's it's I mean, this card has a lot going for it that makes me excited, but it still costs six. So yeah. <laughs> for me, that's 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 a tough sell. Um, next up, we've got Eidolon of Obstruction. Uh, blue, or sorry, white, one, two, one, enchantment creature, spirit, first strike, loyalty abilities of planeswalkers, your opponent's control, costs one more to activate. It's kind of a hate bear. Uh, it's a planeswalker hate bear. Um, I like this card. I think this card is, I think this card is a, a well-designed, kind of well-needed card, with especially with the introduction of so many good planeswalkers. I think just making them cost one more to activate makes them a lot worse. Yeah, it means it's like you can't play a Planeswalker on curve and activate it. You can't go turn four Jace, activate. You can't go turn four Liliana, turn three Liliana, activate. Um, you can't go turn five Teferi, activate. It just makes Planeswalkers one turn slower. And maybe that's what, you know, maybe that's all you need to beat them. I guess the question is like, what deck is does like the hate bears deck have trouble enough trouble with planeswalkers that this is worth a slot over something else does humans have trouble with planeswalkers well this isn't a human i mean it's a spirit and maybe spirits uh, yeah I mean, i'm just asking like does hu- humans is the deck that curves out with thalia's right and i know thalia's a human obviously but not every single card in humans always has to be a human it's just like you can play other things sure. so is this good like is this good enough or like actually is Thalia just going to make them spend one more mana to ca- cast the Planeswalker in the first I think place. Thalia is like a lot better, but you just don't this is it. not legendary, so you can have more than one of them out. And like any deck that would want this is probably already playing four Thalias. So like maybe if you're like Eldrazi and Taxes or something, you're just playing this over Leon and Arbiter or something. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's better than any of that stuff because there are a lot of decks in in every format that just don't even play Planeswalkers. And so it's a little more niche. Whereas Thalia is like non-creature spells that hits planeswalkers but it also hits instant sorceries enchantments artifacts i mean it hits everything and this is like much more niche on the same body with like maybe a less relevant creature type doesn't have flash so it plays out of the style of spirits but at least it is a two drop so it still goes up there with like supreme phantom and, and some of the other stuff that you'd be doing in spirits and i actually think that like playing this on turn two in a spirits deck and having them kill it is probably fine playing this on turn two and not having them kill it and then having your like spell queller or something like that open i think there's a lot of play it probably makes that deck a lot more it probably makes this card probably makes that deck feel a little more like humans 
because it does give it a little bit more of a Thalia. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, one of the other benefits of Thalia is like even if your opponent just has a bolt for your Thalia immediately, Thalia always trades evenly on mana, and this doesn't have that effect in the same way. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm right. not sold. Uh, there's a standard deck right now. It's tearing up this next card, Enigmatic Incarnation, Blue Green Two Enchantment at the beginning of your end step. If you may, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantments converted mana cost. Put that card on the battlefield, then shuffle your libraries. So you can turn enchantments into creatures, uh, and that's how this works. And it, it's at the end step, so it happens the turn you play it. So there are a lot of really cool enchantments that were printed and injected into the set. Omen of the Sea is a card we're going to talk about in a little bit. That's definitely one of the ones that's interesting. Uh, for modern purposes, I mean, Hatching Plans is a card that comes to mind that's pretty cool. Oh, I should have known you were going to go to Hatching Plans on this one. I didn't know what your plan was, but it's hatched. You, you play Hatching Plans on turn two, do whatever on turn three. Turn four, you play this, sack your Hatching Plans, draw into some super sweet creature and draw three cards. I mean, I'm into that. Who's not into that? Yeah, I mean, it does a pretty good birthing pot impression. So, and it's not a vulnerable creature that you have to untap with, like Vanifar. I mean, when Vanifar came out, there was like some hype that like Vanifar could be the next pod. And there were a lot of people building those types of decks across formats. Um, oh my God, I just had an idea. Hit me. Bant, Enigmatic Incarnation, Renegade Rally, or Hatching Plants. Oh, you sacrifice hatching plans. Rallier comes back and puts it back in play. Then you start drawing three <laughs> extra cards a turn and just put Ralliers in play every turn. It's pretty sweet. I just lost it. That sounds yeah. like so much fun. You can also get a Dryad of the Elysian Grove yeah. off your hatching plans and play all the extra lands that you've drawn. And yeah, I mean, with enchantment creatures in particular, you can keep fueling this a little bit easier or with like enchantments to draw cards, like hatching plans allow you to draw more enchantments because that's the thing about birthing pod is like you never run out of gas because you can pod three into a four, four into a five, like each thing that you get can go continue going up the chain and this you have to like keep playing enchantments to fuel it because typically the creature that you get will not be an enchantment yeah the only issue with this card really if what we're talking about is you know birthing pod had the the repeatable combo element of you could untap it and reuse it so it, it was very good just as a value thing but if all it ever was was a value card it would never have gotten famous like it did yeah i mean like the the premier combo deck that used birthing pod though was like the malira pod deck and it didn't typically untap it that was like the kiki pod deck that was yeah. going for a kiki jiki pestermite that would untap it so like it doesn't have you can never build like a kiki pod deck with this card very easily but maybe there is like a malira combo deck where like you're generally a fair deck with a combo backup plan and this is your pod it's just a little clunkier because you have to keep throwing enchantments at it which take up slots that are then not creatures in your deck yeah that's fair uh, it's I think interesting. It's, I think it's a cool card. I mean, I, I like definitely worth plans. brewing. Around. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Okay, next card on the list is this is a card people are talking about. So this is Gallia of the Endless Dance. It is Gallia, right? Gallia, Gallia of the Endless Dance. It is a red green two two haste legendary creature satyr satyr. Other satyr creatures you control get plus one plus one and have haste. Whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random if you do draw two cards. This card's nuts. This card's. Not like nuts in the sense that it's going to break modern, but just let's just talk about really quickly this versus other tribal lords we've gotten and like how this compares to what they've been doing. So right behind me here on the wall, you guys can't see it because it's off camera. We had a an uncommon from uh, I think that was rivals or one of the one of the Ixalan sets. Yeah, it was the it was the. Rivals of Ixalan? Was that what it called? Or Ix yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the second Ixalan set. Rivals of Ixalan. Uh, and that was Merfolk, Merfolk Mistbinder. And we got a we got a black-white vampire lord, and we got a green-blue Merfolk lord. And they were just bears, right? It's 2-2 two, two for 2, gives creatures of that type plus 1 plus 1 that you control, other ones. That's kind of like, I mean, 
five, six years ago, if we had gotten cards like that, we would have been stoked. Because, like, everybody wants more lords, two mana lords. They want more uh, Wise and Sin. Was that the Kithkin one? Yeah, and, and Lord of Atlantis is the classic one from Alpha, right? Is Lord yeah. of Atlantis has always gotten played because it's a 2-2 two, two for 2 that gives your relevant creature type plus one plus one and they pushed it like the, the, in the original one goblin king cost three but lord of Atlantis cost two yeah so like they wanted merfolk to be the slippery kind of cheaper more efficient one over the years anytime we ever got a lord in any creature type for two mana it was exciting now satyr is not a creature type that i think a lot of people were clamoring for a lord like but this is a two two haste for two makes all your other satyrs really good but remember here, whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random if you do draw two cards. It has nothing to do with satyrs. Right. So, I mean, the the text that, uh, minus the bottom text, the 2-2 two, two haste, other satyrs you control get plus one plus one and have haste, that's the same as Goblin Chieftain, which is a lord that does sometimes get played in Goblin decks. It's a 2-2 two, two haste that gives other goblins you control plus one plus one and haste, but it costs three mana. Yeah. So this is one mana cheaper than that. I didn't know why you put this on the list, but the more we talk about it, I'm, I'm a little bit sold. But continue. I mean, whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random if you draw two cards. We've seen the Gruul Blitz decks over the years. That's definitely a thing that's happened. I, I don't see any reason why, if you wanted to generate some card advantage in a Blitz deck, especially one that was playing like um, uh, Burning Tree Emissary and cards like that, and you were trying to get a lot of creatures on the battlefield, you know, those those uh, Bushwhacker decks, what's stopping you from playing this card? Uh, it's not... I guess you discard a card at random, so maybe it screws up your plan, but... I really like the idea of discarding my one card I couldn't cast that turn and turning it into two more. land. I mean, it seems pretty good to me. It has haste. It's in line with what you're doing. You don't really need satyrs. It's just good. I mean, I think in those type of decks, this maybe doesn't do quite enough because like a lot of the time you're looking to like go burning trees, bushwhacker, attack them for a million. Just kill them. Yeah. And this doesn't, this isn't as good at that. But I do think like, as magic goes on, if we get more good satyrs, this is definitely a card to keep an eye on. Like, I just, I can't think of satyrs that I'm excited to play <laughs> other than Satyr Wayfinder, which this doesn't play particularly well with because it's not an aggressive card. Right. But like, if there are ever more Theros sets or if we go to another world that has satyrs in either of those colors, like, yeah, the, the power level of that card's very high. I think the only thing missing, like if they printed that and it was a goblin and it said all the same text but for goblins, people will be super excited about that be, card well, because yeah. the goblin support already exists and you can make a goblin deck and it just slots right in. But they this know... Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why it's good is because it's, it's a bad tribe. They know they can do that because if it was goblins, they couldn't do that. Right. But, but, but it's a bad tribe right now. True, so I true. think this is a card that like if you... You know, every time you see a Seder card, I think it's going to be impossible not to think of this and be like, is this a card that makes Gallia playable? And I think it's going to take quite a few good Seders before that's true. But I yeah, think, the, the raw power level of the card seems high to me, actually. I think like for sure there over the years, we've seen like a lot of cool stuff where, you know, one of my one of my classic famous tribes that I always have loved so much that's never been good enough is rogues. I always love rogues. And in Morningtide, they push the whole rogues idea with with uh, Prowl as the ability. And I always thought that was really cool. And we've not really seen a bunch of good rogues. They've printed them over the years, but there's never been enough tribal support to justify playing like a uh, Una's Blackguard, just one of my old favorite cards. But, uh, you know, like that, or, or you look at like some tribes that maybe didn't have as much support over the years that are starting to. Knights is like stocked now, you know? Yeah, and humans oh. was like that too. I mean, humans for years, they definitively did not support it on purpose. They were like, oh, that doesn't make, human tribal doesn't make sense. For Innistrad, it made flavorful sense. They printed the Innistrad humans and it wasn't quite good enough for modern or, you know, extended or at the time or whatever, right? But uh, once the second human support set came in, that's when it gave and unclaimed territory to an extent. But that's when it kind of like pushed it over the edge where now you have Dolly's Lieutenant, you have unclaimed territory, you have Kite Sail Freebooter. Now there's a deck. 
Right. I mean, I, I, you, you can you can find examples of a lot of these. I think the other thing that's very cool is when we kind of pivot for a second away from modern into pioneer um, with so much more focus on rewarding us with these kind of underrepresented tribes. Pioneer starts to become the format where you're going to see those decks show up. Vampires was such like struggled to break through for such a long time in modern. People always wanted to be able to play it. But, you know, you look at all these awesome vampires you had, like Captivating Vampire. What was the four drop? The, the, the Black 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 one. Vampire Nocturnus. Uh, yeah, Vampire Nocturnus. These really sweet cards, like cards that on paper you'd be like, oh my god, this, Bloodline Keeper, I love these cards. Never good enough for modern. You could never really break through. Even with the support in Rivals with the Black White Lord, it still was really hard to break through. But Vampires is a deck in Pioneer. It's a real yeah, deck. Yeah, it uses the, the new three mana Soren from M20 to put Champion of Dusk into play and just like draw a ton of cards. Um, and then, yeah, like Thought Seize and Fatal Push are like obviously two of the more efficient inter- pieces of interaction in the format. You get to play eight. Yeah, so you start to you start to find like you know that support really helps. So we, we we're gonna keep going here with a few more cards, guys. Quick break to remind everybody here: uh, if you are watching this, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you have not already hit that subscribe button, please click subscribe, guys. It is the number one thing as we build this channel. Subscribers and a little notification bell next to it. It'll let you guys know when we go live when we post new videos. We are posting more content this year. You guys can see those hot takes that come out early in the week. We have the video show that goes up. Sometimes we do emergency hot take episodes, like we just did when the bannings happened. So so do you get excited? for that we have some collabs coming up with other content creators very soon that we're excited to announce so you know get hyped for that stuff please hit that subscribe button the other thing guys is that we do have a patreon it's patreon.com slash the mm cast and you know we have we have taken the time to buy new equipment to hire a producer we're we're trying to continue to expand and improve our content and if you guys support through patreon.com slash the mm cast it's the it's the best way to ensure that the quality of the show continues to grow and get better. And we just want to bring you guys the best content we can. So thank you guys so much for, you know, tuning in and supporting. <laughs> and we're going to keep going with the uh, the set review. Uh, the next card we have on the list is Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, Black Red. It is a, a legendary creature, Elder Giant, Mythic Rare. It is a 6-6, six, six, but it has some interesting text written on it. So uh, when Croxa enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. Has an escape ability we'll get to in a second. Whenever a Croxa enters the battlefield or attacks, each opponent discards a card. Then each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life. Escape, Black Black, Red Red, five other cards from your graveyard. So... It's an interesting card. Um, the 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 reason it's on here is because of another of our preview cards that's behind me over here. Claim Fame. Claim Fame can repeatedly get this card back. Thing is, when you get this card and you play it for two and it sacrifices. Okay, so for two mana, I'm making you discard a card. Um, then you know if you discard a land, um, you take three. Yeah. So if, if you take three and discard a card, you're getting hit with part of a blightning um, for two mana, right? But if you discard the second copy of something that you don't care about, then I'm just making you discard a card for two mana. So I'm one for one in you, but, you know, it's costing me two mana. But I've got this thing in my graveyard now and you don't, which is interesting. And the fact that it has such a low cost, um, such a low casting cost means anything that can kind of abuse getting it back. So I think I I mentioned like Isareth the Awakener or they've actually printed a lot more cards now over the years that make reference to uh, resurrecting a creature with casting costs like X or less, like two or less, three or less. So anytime you have a creature that has big stats or a powerful ability for a low casting cost, it's it's worth looking at. And I think that's why I think this card is pretty cool. Um, If you get a six, six for four mana that enters the battlefield that when it enters they discard a card and perhaps lose three life yeah it's okay yeah i mean it strikes me as like what so uro is the same way in that like so both of the titans kind of 
help you get to the point where it's good. So Uro like ramps you to like help you hit the like four cards. It also draws a card so you can like, you know, fuel your graveyard a little bit. Um, and it gives you life so you can survive long enough to put it into play. And this does a similar thing in that it like disrupts your opponent's hand a little bit. And I do think that like it's enter the battlefield a little bit weaker. You're paying less mana for it though. Um, and I think like it kills your opponent faster because they might lose three life the first time you play it because they just discard a land. But then later in the game, if they have no hand, they just take three because it's each opponent who didn't discard an on-land card. So if they have an empty hand because you made them discard all their cards with this, uh, they still just take three. So you're hitting them for nine when you attack if they don't block. I think one thing about this card, the, the design, when we, we get outside of Modern and Pioneer that's interesting is um, it is legendary and it is designed to affect each opponent. So I do think there's a I do think that there is a bit of a commander aspect of this card that seems like kind of a fun play pattern. They probably when designing were thinking, okay, so you don't take it out of your graveyard and put it in the command zone. You just leave it in your graveyard. Your deck is set up that on turn four you can get this thing back. So now on turn two and on turn four you can make everybody discard cards. You can you know play a Megrim deck or some fun thing that's kind of sinking people. Whatever. It just it's it's a it's a nice parallel effect that is not overpowered but yeah. definitely plays like that. And like one opponent discarding one card is like a one for one. But yeah. three opponents each discarding one card is like a three for one. Right, which makes the ability actually kind of a decent ability. Yeah. Um, so next up on the list, we've got Kumaros, Hound of Athreos. This is an Alex Kessler tweet special. Black, white, one. This is a uh, legendary creature, Hound, Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink. It's a 3-3 creature cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield. Players can't cast spells from graveyards. It's an anti-cat, right? That's yeah, the it's idea. like a, it's a hate, what do you call it, 3-3 three, three for 3? Is that a centaur, hate centaur? Uh, well, what's the original? Hill Giant, isn't that? It's 4 mana. Oh, Hill Giant was a 3-3. Three, it three took a while four. for them to print a 3-3 three, three for 3. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, definitely yeah. not an alpha <laughs> card. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think uh, it it's very clear when you want this card and all of its abilities make it so perhaps this is something you play in your main deck it's not the most efficient hate card because it costs three so it's not like you're sideboarding this in against dredge it's more like i think graveyard decks are a big part of the meta i'm gonna play this in my main deck and i'm gonna you know collected company into it or it's going in my black white eldrazi and taxes deck as like a two of and you know it's like a hate bear that it's a hate bear in that you play it main deck and it it does the thing yeah it's i mean it's fine i think vigilance menace lifelink for a three three for three is a, it's a pushed ability it's powerful like right I, I this is the kind of card that i think when it kind of comes down if you don't read all like the second abilities that are like hate bearish your opponent plays it against you and they have removal and ways to make it so you don't have two blockers it's a pretty reasonable rate it's it's just a good card they're probably going to do damage with you with it. yeah i mean it, it holds like a sword well if you're a yeah. stoneforge mystic deck because um, a lot of the hate bears decks often are using that as a win condition assuming they're not playing leonard arbiter <laughs> yeah and sometimes even if they are playing leonard arbiter but yeah i mean it, it holds a sword well because of the lifelink and the menace uh it's like more likely to connect it it's like a little bit weak for modern just on its face but the fact that those abilities are sometimes just going to win you a game because like they can't conflagrate it and it turns off most of their deck and also hit kills them. So that's the thing is like sometimes your dredge opponent will beat your relic of progenitus or something because eventually they'll draw their, their, you know, answer. They'll draw their nature's claim or whatever. They'll go to kill it. You'll exile their graveyard and they'll just rebuild and kill you. But this kills them while it does the thing. That's like the benefit of hate bears is like, it doesn't have to win the game by stopping your opponent. All it has to do is slow your opponent down long enough that a three, three just beats them up. 
I mean, in a in a in a pre faithless looting being banned world, this card would have been a lot more effective because in the in, so. a, in the Phoenix world, this would have been very very relevant. Yeah, um, this is a, a totally reasonable card to play against a Phoenix deck. It's just that Phoenix is not that good in modern anymore, and it's kind of good in Pioneer. I mean, Phoenix is a real deck, and and uh, Underworld Breach is now uh, you know erupting onto the scene in both Pioneer and Modern. Uh, there's like you know various combo decks around un- Underworld Breach surfacing, and I think that we probably haven't even seen the best version in any format yet, in, like Legacy included, and the Legacy one's super nasty. It's also so an this also stops. Card. It's an anti-Snapcaster card, which is a very yeah. So it's, card. it's like a main deck card that stops Snapcaster. It's like sometimes you're just going to randomly hose your Blue Moon opponent or whatever. Yeah. But it also like will hose Dredge and it will hose you know Phoenix if that surfaces in Modern or in Pioneer, and it'll stop um, Underworld Breach combo. Like there's yeah. a lot of just random stuff that it stops. Um, next up is a card that is this is one of the interesting cards in terms of like. Every set, whenever you kind of are designing around a mechanic, so the set's trying to make great use of enchantments, they're trying to push that ability to have things on the battlefield that also can end up in your graveyard, there's a cycle of these omens, and this is the common omen of the sea. Blue one, enchantment, flash. When an omen of the sea enters the battlefield, scry two, then draw a card. And uh, blue two, sacrifice omen of the sea, scry two. So this is actually seeing play in standard, right? It is seeing play in standard, and I do believe it's seeing play in pioneer and modern as well. But, uh, you know, you said that this kind of riffs off the mechanic of the set. It obviously riffs off the main mechanic of the set, which is enchantments. But as a limited player, I, I really like the omens. And I'm just going to talk about it for one second for those limited aficionados out there. Uh, so this adds, it is an enchantment that triggers constellation. It also adds a devotion because it's an enchantment that sits on the battlefield. It has flash. So it uses, it plays into the like blue, red, play things on your opponent's turn strategy. It also triggers constellation at instant speed, which is not very easy to do. So if you have like that creature that, you know, gives a creature plus one plus one constellation or, you know, any any constellation trigger that you can like blow out your opponent in combat, this will allow you to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it also like smooths out your draws later in the game if you have to. I think this is like such, these omens are like such a cool limited design because they play into like even more themes than is immediately apparent. That said, for other formats, it's uh, it's basically two mana preordain, um, but with flash. And, you know, people were kind of speculating when Opt came out, well, is being an instant enough for this to get played over Serum Visions? And the answer is yes. And I think <laughs> is being an instant enough for this to get played even for two mana? And it it's, it looks like I think the answer is yes. How do you think this compares to the one blue artifact that's in Eldrain? The, uh, it comes in a battlefield. Witching well? Yeah. Um, I think if you have artifact synergy, that Witching Well is better. I think this, like getting to four mana to draw two cards is kind of a pipe dream. Like you kind of want to be using the Witching Well, like tap it for Urza or, you know. Yeah, sure. Be Use it for Metalcraft, although I guess now that Opal's gone, that's probably less of a concern. Yeah, but, less of a thing. But I think that like in a Blue Moon deck or in a Blue White deck, I could see playing a couple of Omen of the Seas as like extra copies of Opt where you like want all your mana untapped every turn so you can be sure you're remanding on turn two and Cryptic on turn four and Archmage's Charming on turn three. And this just like allows you that instant speed, you know, uh, draw some cards and dig versus, uh, you know, Serum Visions, which is like clunky and... Right. Next up, we've got Setizen Champion, green two creature human warrior constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Setizen Champion and draw a card. It's a one three. This is a combination of uh, Verduran Enchantress and Yavimaya Enchantress, mm-hmm. um, which are basically, but they're both Enchantress cards. The Obviously, the constellation ability here is that whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you draw. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, 
The old enchantresses are whenever you cast an enchantment, so you don't actually yes. have to have it enter. Whereas here, if they counter the spell, nothing happens. Correct. That does make this considerably worse. Um, it also means that, like, if you have an enchantment enter the battlefield and not be cast, you still get it. So, like, if you collected company into an enchantment creature. Or blink something. Or blink something. Or claim fame your uh, Ephemia yeah. or something. Sure, I mean, <laughs> sure. It's fair. It's a fair point. But the fact, of, the fact of the matter is that, obviously, it's a 1-3 to start with, which puts it firmly in lightning bolt range. But as soon as you get your, your engine going with this card, that it's already going to be a 2-4, a 2-4 Enchantress that's going to get bigger and bigger. Um, this card's good. I mean, Inverter and Enchantress was always a 0-2 for, uh, for 3, so it was very killable. Uh, it could just be pyroclasmed, honestly. And, and you know, it never really did much. The fact that this is both the threat you want and also the engine you want makes it more interesting for those decks. I'm always looking at redundancy there. I don't know how good this card really is, but it's it's cool that it does both. Yeah, I mean, if you can untap with it in pretty much any format, standard included, you, you just get to go off. You get to make a huge threat that clocks them for three plus and you get to draw a bunch of cards. I mean, it seems the power level is there. It's just a question of like whether it's too fragile. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned unbridled growth. You also have abundant growth. You have, you know, these are these are yeah, green I mean, people cards. are playing it in standard with like, uh, you know, Sentinel's eyes and whatever random one mana enchantments they can get their hands on. So yeah, speaking of one random one mana, our next card is called Shadow Spirits, and uh, it's a legendary artifact equipment. One colorless equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has trample and lifelink. Equips for two colorless, and the one ability on the card. One colorless permanence. Your opponent's control lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. It's got a little bit of the uh, glaring spotlight effect. Is that mm-hmm. the card, right? Yeah. So that's always that's always like an interesting like uh, that's always like an interesting access to this ability type of effect. Before the show, you were like, well, you know, I think as part of a, a Stoneforge package, I think this has some utility. Explain what you're talking about there. Yeah. So like glaring spotlight uh, is a card that has like not really ever seen play because. It doesn't do anything. I mean, you can make all your creatures unblockable, but that's like pretty conditional, especially yeah. in like constructed formats. Um, I mean, other than commander, I guess. But uh, yeah. The, and then the ability was a little too niche to like even see play as a sideboard card. This is like something you can put one of in your sideboard, but you can draw it consistently because of Stoneforge Mystic. And it actually does something right. Like the the trample and lifelink can just be good against, say, a burn deck or something or a prowess deck, something that's putting pressure on your life total. Cause you can like be gaining life every turn by equipping this to a Tarmogoyf or something or a thought not or yeah. whatever. Right. You can gain big chunks of life and the trample is not irrelevant either. But the reason that you would play this in your Stoneforge package is to remove Hexproof and Indestructible. Now, I don't know if there are Hexproof or Indestructible threats that are really ravaging Modern or Pioneer, but in the event that like Heliod combo really takes off yeah. and you're like, I guess, yeah, I mean, Heliod is just tough to deal with. So being able to shatter, or not shatter, um, demystify or wear tear, I guess, Dis- wear tear, disenchant. disenchant, yeah, return to nature, um, being able to do any of that stuff to your opponent's Heliod kind of saves you some sideboard slots a little bit. You can like bring in enchantment hate and blow them up that way because like Path to Exile doesn't hit him. Right. So like you're going to be playing Path to Exile on your Stoneforge deck, but a lot of times like your opponent is just playing Heliod onto an empty board on turn three and you're like, am I just going to lose next turn? Like I kind of need to deal with this and you can like, use your shadow spear you can you know get it on turn two preemptively with your stone forge and then turn three you can play it and, and get their heliod or whatever right um next up on the list we've got storm herald this is a brew around me card i'm stoked on this card yep uh red two for a three two haste human shaman 
Uh, when Storm Herald enters the battlefield, return any number of aura cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, hang on, I'm just trying to not be blind and old. Um, from your graveyard to the battlefield, attach to creatures you control. Exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step. If those auras would leave the battlefield, exile them instead of putting them anywhere else. I mean, the, what comes to mind right off the bat for everybody involved is Eldrazi Conscription. Uh, Eldrazi Conscription, for those that don't remember, is, I believe, eight colorless for an aura. Um, Gives plus 10, plus 10, Annihilator 2, Trample, I want to say. That sounds that sounds right. Um, um, but anyway, yeah, what's interesting is, like, it looks like they had it in mind as well. Because it this feels like something where it would be when this attacks, do it. But it's when it enters the battlefield, do it. So you get to play it, put whatever R is on it, and then attacks, so you can get your Annihilator trigger. I mean, yeah, this is this is not as I mean, this is not like a like a pipe dream as much as I think as some other things that I, I find myself talking about. Uh, I mean, you don't have Faithless Looting anymore, but you have like Thrill of Possibility, you know, turn two, Thrill of Possibility. Yeah, turn two, Cathartic or Thrill of Possibility, and then turn three, playing Storm Herald, Storm Herald attack for 13, Annihilate your opponent's board. Have a hard time losing at that point. I mean, just Annihilate their board and just left with a 3-2 creature to attack with after that. They've already taken 13. You probably are going to win the game. Unless yeah. they're interacting with you, that seems like a perfectly fine thing to do. So I like Storm Herald. I think this is really cool. I would love you to see. You can also play this with, um, oh shoot, I forgot the name, Talarian Researchers yes. or something? Yes, Academy Researchers. Academy Researchers. Yes, I know all about that card. So it's a it's a three mana 2-2, two, two, is that right? Blue 2 uh, for 2-2, two, two, I believe. It might be blue, blue, 1, It's actually. blue, blue, 1. Yeah, and it's when it enters the battlefield, you may put uh, an aura card from your hand onto the battlefield, enchanting uh, Academy Researchers. Yes, so I, I borrowed this deck with sovereigns of lost alara and yeah. uh, academy researchers from a friend uh, and played some games with it just because i thought it was like a cool brew and this is like a big upgrade for the deck um but yeah i, I just uh, that's another card that you can play to put your eldrazi conscription onto it and uh but you have to untap with it because it doesn't have haste or anything sovereigns of lost alara do you i so like you're you're taking me back here for a second you're taking me back to like this is like standard decks from like 2011 or 10 or something like that. Yeah. Pre-Splinter Twin era, I think. Uh, yeah, it was before Splinter Twin was Yeah, playing. and like Sovereigns of Lost Alara would like, it was like a Lotus well, Splinter Cobra. Twin was in the same format. It was in the same set as Eldrazi Conscription. So. Yeah, yeah. And like Sovereign would like come in and like you, you played like Birds of Paradise and Lotus Cobras and like accelerate into it super fast and just like dome them for a million. Yeah, you would just like attack with your noble hierarchy yeah, and yeah. get it would get exalted from the sovereigns and from itself and then it would get the conscription and just knock them. But you don't get annihilator with sovereigns. You yeah. just you get to keep the enchantment though is the benefit. But this you get to annihilate immediately on turn three, as whereas sovereigns is a six drop and you don't get to annihilate. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of decks in modern that are super reactive, and are, you're not gonna. This is never gonna happen for you. Um, you it's know, cool brew though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, most of the control decks are just gonna counter what you're doing. Three mana sorcery speed, but it does have haste, and and if they don't see it coming, but then again, it has to be in your graveyard. But that's why thrill of possibility and a turn. They don't see it coming, right? Seems sweet to me. They never see it coming. I'm into Storm Herald. That card's my jam. Storm's Wrath. Red, red, two sorcery. Storm's Wrath deals four damage to each creature and each planeswalker. We can be brief about this one. It's just that. Uh, red has basically languish now, right? It has, uh, well, and it hits planeswalkers. Yeah. Then that's pretty interesting. I mean, being able to kill creatures and also get rid of your Teferi or something like that matters a lot. <coughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot, if you're on the play, there's a lot of three mana planeswalkers that go to four, like, like, um, you know, Narset goes down to three or like Teferi three mana goes, uh, oh, he goes up to five actually. Does he? he? 
I think he does. But if he minuses, you can get him with. Um, but yeah, I mean, hitting planeswalkers is is interesting, and it's something that like you often don't see on these wrath cards because people are like playing planeswalkers, hiding behind them, and then playing like a wrath to blah blah creatures. This can kind of like hit planeswalkers, so you can't play it as well in that way. But it also like. It has additional utility in matchups where your opponent's creatures don't matter as much because you can like, you know, hit multiple planeswalkers with this or blow up their creatures and their planeswalker that was hiding behind the creatures or whatever. Um, next up on the list, we've got Thassa's Intervention. Blue, blue, X, instant, choose one, look at the top X cards of your library, put up to two of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order, in random order. And uh, the other ability is counter-target spell, unless it's controller pays twice X. The reason this card is cool uh, is not because we necessarily see a deck that it slots into where we know exactly what it does, but it's just anytime ever that a blue deck is able to play something that can both draw cards and counter spells and you have either function and they're both pretty good versions. charming cryptic command both spring to mind uh but yeah i mean this this strikes me as like a big archmage's charm right where it has the option to counter spell or draw two cards and uh it's something that you're going to play in a deck where you have a lot of mana i feel like i could see this as like a one of in a blue white control deck or a blue black control deck just some control deck that's hitting all their land drops in you know more likely modern because in pioneer you have access to dig through time actually um and i think dig through time is going to edge this out a lot of the time just on raw power level but this does an okay dig through time impression in modern where you can't play dig through time. And the fact that like it's a, a relevant piece of interaction, even if it's a little on the expensive side, I think the flexibility like pushes it over the top. Well, okay. So like in modern control decks, they would play uh, hieroglyphic illumination, right? Yep. Scry two, draw two for four instant speed. Isn't that what it is? Glimmer it? of genius. Oh, they, I actually saw both get played. Hieroglyphic right. Illumination is often getting played with Search for His Canta because it's another one mana cantrip. It yeah. just like has another mode that's valuable. It cycles. That's that's the four mana, right? It cycles for one blue. But yeah, I've seen those four mana instant speed draw twos get played before. And so for this to be a four mana instant speed draw two that also acts as for three mana, I'm going to, uh, you know, miscalculation you. And that's okay. It's not great, but you're going to get them often. Yeah, I think the flexibility of the card is what's valuable, is that, like, you can counter a spell for three mana, like an Archmage's Charm, for example, yeah. but you can also draw two cards. And the fact that it, like, if you have a ton of mana, it can dig deep, I think is what makes it good and what makes it, like, perhaps a consideration over Archmage's Charm. And it's a little easier to cast. So, or even, like, a Blue Moon deck, I could see where you're digging for, like, your Through the Breach or your... Right, right, right. Whatever your Wing Con is in your Blue Moon deck, you can dig towards it because you can dig real deep with it if you have a bunch of mana. Uh, anyway, guys, that's going to wrap up part two of our set review here on the MM Cast. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks for listening this week. As always, we appreciate your support. Tune in to the MM Cast YouTube every single week for a hot take at the beginning of the week. The episode goes up on video later in the week. And, of course, if you're listening to this on audio, keep listening for new episodes, new content great collabs coming up very soon michael thanks for doing the show today where can the folks find you uh i'm on twitter at dudard d-u-d-a-r-d-d i'm also pretty active on the masters of modern facebook group and the masters of modern discord channel yeah and if you guys want to find me you can find me at ben bateman media check out my other stuff i do in the movie world action industries uh the movie trivia schmodown and of course our patreon here patreon.com slash the mm cast is the best way to support subscribe hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell we love you guys we'll see y'all next time thanks for listening thanks for watching been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.